Hello, everyone. This is Father Bill Nicholas, and this is Faith, Hope, and History. Greetings and welcome, everybody. It is Friday, November 12th in the year 2021. It was on this day in 1912 that the frozen bodies of Robert Scott and his men were found on the Ross Ice Shelf in Antarctica. It was also on this day in 1927, Leon Trotsky was expelled from the Soviet Communist Party, leaving Joseph Stalin in undisputed control in the Soviet Union. On this day in 1936 in California, the San Francisco-Oakland Bay Bridge was first opened to traffic. And in 1954, Ellis Island ceased operations. In 1927, the Holland Tunnel beneath the Hudson River in New York opened, so it shares an anniversary with, in 1936, the San Francisco-Oakland Bay Bridge. And that's just to name a few of a number of things that happened on this day. But today, I have been thinking a lot about the um, trial that we've been seeing going on in Wisconsin, the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse for the murder of two of the protesters and the serious injuring of a third, a 17-year-old boy carrying a weapon going into a riot zone. And while I'm not going to talk about the ins and outs of the trial because I haven't followed it as closely, although I have to admit the video footage I thought looked very compelling, but I'm not the lawyer, I'm not the jury, I'm not the judge, and I'm not, I'm not sitting there constantly listening to the evidence and the arguments on the trial. But in in looking at this trial and in hearing the conversations regarding it, it, it occurred to me that we have allowed ourselves to be conditioned in this country, I think, to a certain mode of thinking. Now, there's a scene in the movie Citizen Kane in which Charles Foster Kane, somewhat alienated from his wife, were sitting at the dinner table and, of course, Kane is a media mogul, newspaper man, media tycoon. And at one point over dinner, his wife says to her, Charles, people will think, and he interrupts her to say, what I tell them to think. In other words, people will think what I tell them to think. A media man saying he is going to dictate to people what they think. And I think we have been seeing a lot of that in the mainstream media over the last couple of decades, where oftentimes when a news story is very fresh, just a couple of days, sometimes a couple of hours after the events, in addition to reporting on the events, and in some cases in lieu of reporting on these events, media pundits are immediately commenting on it as to what it means and basically how we are to think. And the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse has gotten me noticing a number of ways in which we now think as a nation, which perhaps has led to the controversy of this young man, at the time a minor, now he's not, but at the time of the shooting he was 17, defending himself in the midst of a riot, in addition to him going into the riot zone for the reasons that he states he did to protect the store of a friend, a young man who, for all intents and purposes, seems to be a good citizen, a fire cadet, a police cadet, apparently trained in the use of firearms. But what has scandalized people, regardless of the controversy behind all that, we have our, our attitudes with regard to 
uh, a minor's use of firearms and why he was there, what his intentions were. And again, I leave that to the jury to decide and the lawyers to argue and the judge to make sure things stay equitable and legal. But much of the commentary in terms of how we are told to think about this has often included a sentiment of how dare anyone go into a situation like that to defend themselves or to defend friends or to defend property. We saw that with the couple in Missouri who stood out in their front yard, weapons in hand, as an angry, hostile crowd passed by. And the reaction was very much the same. These are vigilantes. These must be white supremacists. Some even have used the term domestic terrorists to describe people exercising their constitutional rights in this country to defend themselves, the right to bear arms. But much of it has a lot to do with how dare they take it upon themselves to do this. Even as Kyle Rittenhouse was questioned yesterday with regard to the gentleman he had injured, not killed, but injured, the prosecution itself was saying, yes, he had a gun, yes, he was pointing it at you, but he hadn't yet pulled the trigger, had he? Implying, as many media pundits were commenting yesterday, that the young man was not entitled to defend himself until the other person pulled the trigger. Really cutting it down to the wire in terms of when people can take it upon themselves to defend themselves, even to the point of, of using arms. Now, I am not going to get into the pro-gun, anti-gun argument here. As a priest, that's not what I'm all about. But as a person who is an American, who loves being an American, who's proud to be an American, and who loves history, and this is faith, hope, and history, and who has studied the Constitution of the United States, it really is interesting how it seems repulsive now at the thought of someone defending themselves when they feel they are threatened. And how dare someone take it upon themselves to defend themselves, a friend, or their property, or a friend's property. And I think it comes a lot from the modern notion that we have been conditioned to, to undertake a mentality we have that many people in our nation has that the government is sovereign in this country. When you think about it, certain political schools of thought would agree with that. In America, we the people are sovereign, but there is very much a pervasive attitude among many people that the government is sovereign. The people are there to serve the government. Ergo, the government has an agenda, the government has things it wants to do, and the people are there to provide the funding for the government to do that through their taxes. I mean, when you think about it, even tax cuts, when we have massive tax cuts, it always includes a sunset clause when those tax cuts are no longer applicable, but there's never a sunset clause on tax increases. Because the attitude, especially of the ruling elite and the media, is that the people are there to serve the government. And it's the government that's there to protect the people and the citizenry and the property, and they do that with the police. And if the government decides to tell the police to stand down, they must obviously have a very good reason to do so. 
which is why they are scandalized when, in such cases as this, when the police are told to stand down, citizens take up arms to defend themselves. They find themselves on trial, or if not on trial, heavily criticized by the media and by political figures because they did that. Why? Because there's the attitude. You don't defend yourself. We are in charge. The government is in charge of defending you. The government tells the police when to intervene. And the sense is that they, if they tell the police to stand down and people's properties, businesses, their lives are threatened, there really doesn't seem to be much a concern about that. And when someone does take up arms to defend themselves or their property, or their loved ones, or their businesses. They are very much represented in a negative light by our media, as we see with the young man, Kyle Rittenhouse, who was called a white supremacist, a domestic terrorist, a thug. But one thing that we need to be reminded of is that in this country, we do not work for the government. But the government works for we, the people. The government is hired and elected to take care of matters of government for us. We aren't there for them. They are elected and they work for us. The police are there to do the work of keeping the peace for us. They do the job so that we don't have to. But when they fail to do that, either from their own incompetence or disorganization, or in many cases in the last few months, because they have been told to stand down by government officials, people like Kyle Rittenhouse and adults who do that, what he did, or adults who take up arms to defend themselves, they say they take it upon themselves to do the job of the police. They do the police's job for the police. And in many ways, they've got that backwards. The police do the job for us. When they fail to do so, we must do the job, not for the police. We need to do the job ourselves, for ourselves. And those that are hired and commissioned to do it for us have failed. And so I think that what we've seen with regard to this trial is because we have been conditioned in no small part by the media to have an attitude that we are there to serve the government. Yes, there are laws that are passed that we have to obey. There are regulations that we have to follow. But the government is constantly hamstringing the people. They're hamstringing businesses. They're limiting uh, our freedoms. They have decided what's best for us in terms of health, in terms of education. And when citizens raise objections, whether it's parents at school board meetings or citizens taking up arms during a time of civil unrest because the police have been told to stand down, the citizens are the ones who are held to account. And in some cases, the full weight of the justice system comes down upon them to keep them in their place. But in the last election that we saw in Virginia and New Jersey, we are seeing the citizens starting to push back. I wish the percentages were more, but they were enough to show that the citizens are reminding the politicians 
the school boards, and so on, that they are elected to serve the people. The people are not there to serve them. They are there to do the will of the people. The people are not there to provide funding for their agendas unless we agree to them as voters and as citizens. And when people speak up at school board meetings and are treated as domestic terrorists to be looked at by the FBI, or when a citizen, whether he's a 17-year-old boy or a 35-year-old man or a middle-aged or elderly man or woman, that they are held up as thugs, domestic terrorists, criminals, when they take up arms because the police are not doing it during a time of civil unrest, there we see the pervasive attitude that many in government have that they are not there to serve the people. The people are there to serve the government and the people are to be kept in their place. The people are to keep quiet at school board meetings, keep quiet at town hall meetings. They are there to hide in their homes and let the rioters run riot. And if they try to defend themselves through legal and constitutional means that is their right, then they are held up as criminals or the problem. And when you think about it, we have been seeing a lot of that in the last few months, not just with regard to Second Amendment rights, but even with regard to other amendments of the Constitution. Let's look at the First Amendment. Government and elites are telling us how to speak, even speaking religiously. Political correctness, wokeness, are dictating how we speak, and we are allowing them to do so. We're allowing them to shame us into dictating how we speak because of the attitude that we work for the government. We say and speak the way the government tells us to say and speak. During the pandemic, they shut down the churches, violating the freedom of religion. And the churches were very, very good citizens during this time. But even when people were gathering outside, the best ventilation you could ever have, wearing masks, exercising social distancing, you found in some towns in this country, police coming and arresting people for gathering to celebrate and exercise their faith. We see freedom of the press being violated. First of all, the press is there to keep us informed, not to tell us how to think. If we're to keep the government who works for us accountable so that we can vote responsibly, the press is there to keep us informed, not tell us how to think. Granted, yes, we have an analyst who discuss things, who break things down for us. But commentary has become too pervasive to the point of telling us how to think and shutting down anyone, silencing anyone who disagrees with a particular mode of commentary on something. But the press is there for the people. And we want the, fr the press free, not regulated, not censored. We can filter ourselves through the various outlets. I mean, even in the early decades of the country, there were different political parties had their own publications, and they spoke of issues and spun them according to their political agendas and political philosophies, whether they be the, the Federalists, the Democrat-Republicans, the Whigs, the Democrats, and now the Republican Party. We don't see partisan newspapers as much anymore, but even now the free press, which tends to be more on the liberal side, tends to angle itself to tell us what to think. Ergo, in the case of such instances as Kyle Rittenhouse in August of 2020, 
within just a couple of days, perhaps even within a few hours. People were already condemning him without a single shred of evidence, without any indictment coming down, and certainly long before his case ever went to a jury and came before a judge. They were telling us what to think about this situation, and many people have been very taken by the facts of the case and how different the media presented the issue from the issue at hand. Even if Kyle Rittenhouse is wrong in what he did, we should have been able to make that determination for ourselves without the zeal of the media commentators labeling him with such terms as white supremacist, domestic terrorist, and thug. But here again, the government is dismantling rights that they are supposed to be of service to because they work for we the people. And we the people, through our founding fathers, have agreed to the Constitution, to the amendments of the Constitution, and where we see zealous government violating many of these rights because they just don't find it convenient to their agenda, there's where we see a government that thinks they are sovereign, sovereign even to the Constitution and certainly sovereign to we the people. When it is we the people who are sovereign and the government is at the service to the people and subject to the limitations put forth to their power by the Constitution, not the least of which is they are to be respectful of our constitutional rights of free speech, freedom of religion, freedom of the press, freedom of assembly, freedom to petition our government and to hold our government to account, even at the lowest level of a school board. They are to respect our right to bear arms, which granted, the Second Amendment says, a well-ordered militia being necessary to the defense of liberty, the right to bear arms shall not be infringed. That a militia is needed to protect our rights. And many will say, well, we don't need the militia. We have the army. We have the military. We have the police force. And yes, we do. But they are at the service of our rights to defend ourselves, our rights to bear arms. They do it so we won't have to. The military fights battles so we don't have to experience that. But when they fail to do that, we need to be able to do that in accordance with our constitutional rights. Yesterday, the judge called the prosecution to task in the Rittenhouse trial because he began his questioning by pretty much presenting as a negative Mr. Rittenhouse's exercising of his right to remain silent and not incriminating himself. That is the Fifth Amendment to the Constitution. Certain criminal rights, such as double jeopardy, but also we have the right to not be forced or coerced to incriminate ourselves. We call it pleading the Fifth. And the Miranda rule is a result of that in which we have the right to remain silent. And the government's attorneys just a couple of days ago were putting that forward as a reason to doubt the innocence or lack of guilt of the defendant. And of course, they got a real tongue lashing from the judge. But who is the government to deny that right or present our exercising that right as a negative? But again, that is what is at issue here. The right to bear arms in which anyone who defends themselves by the use of arms is now put on trial or is now held up as a thug and a domestic terrorist when they're exercising their constitutional rights. It's a negative. When a person exercising the freedom of speech is held up as a negative because they don't speak with political correctness or with the right pronouns 
that we have been commanded to use or forbidden to use. When a person is exercising their right to freedom of religion, presuming, of course, they don't infringe upon other people's rights, it's held up as a negative, and a whole section of our society wants to do away with religion in this country when that is the first of our freedoms in the First Amendment, freedom of religion. And so I just wanted to share these thoughts for consideration as we see the final days of this trial in Wisconsin happening, because I think it is symptomatic of a much larger problem we see in our society. And as a church in the society, and in particular as people within the church, I'm not talking just the leaders or the priests, the bishops, but the people who profess a Catholic Christian faith, need to recognize what's going on in this nation that was founded on Judeo-Christian values and constitutional law. We are seeing people exercising their rights at a time of great turmoil, a time of civil unrest, a time in which various moral systems are infringing upon the moral fiber and moral fabric of our country, and we are forbidden to object to that. We are forbidden to defend ourselves when we are threatened. We are forbidden to use certain words, certain phrases, lest we be held up as racist or at the very least politically incorrect. And that should be of concern for all of us. And I'm glad that we have been able to watch this trial unfold on television. And who knows how it will turn out. I think many of us can have a pretty good guess as to how it will turn out. Some of us hope it will turn out a certain way. And apparently some have threatened if it doesn't turn out a certain way. And we certainly don't want to see that. We want to see the legal system and due process and the rule of law prevail, not mob rule, thug rule, in which threats bring about the result that we wish. But let's also notice how various factions in our society are trying to influence how we think and what we think of certain things. They waste no time telling us what to think of something. And unfortunately, I have met a number of people who do allow the media and politicians to dictate how we think to the complete oblivion of facts or argumentation, debate, other considerations and other opinions. We've become so hostile to anything that disagrees with our personal worldview that we have become a nation that no longer respects our basic rights. Religion is chided and downplayed. Free speech is regulated according to political correctness. The press is censored if it doesn't follow a particular narrative. And certainly independent reporters are hounded by the mainstream media we certainly can't petition our government by speaking, even at town hall meetings or school board meetings. And we certainly can't bear arms to defend ourselves during times of civil unrest, even and perhaps especially when politicians who work for us tell the police who's to do a job for us to not do that job for us. And all because there is a pervading attitude that we are there for the government. We are there to fund whatever agenda or plan the government has. 
is no longer a sense that the government is there at the service of the people. And we need to get back to that mentality. Only then will we see our rights truly respected. And that is the reason why we see them disrespected. We've given the government and the press too much say, so that the press has become a propaganda arm of the government, rather than a means of keeping the people informed so that we can hold the government accountable because it works for us. So we'll see how things turn out. And hopefully, in the months ahead, and in subsequent elections, however they turn out, we will see a rebirth and a renewal of the attitudes that have made this country great. It's not because of the supremacy of the government. It's because of the supremacy of the people in this country, including people of faith, who can speak their minds and walk away if we don't like what someone else is speaking, rather than silence them. Who can defend themselves when they are threatened, but who also have a government who faithfully executes matters of government for the people, including the police force that works to keeping the peace for the people. And hopefully we will never see a situation such as what we see in this trial of an 18-year-old boy who was 17 when he felt it necessary to step up, defend a friend's property and business, and ultimately defend himself when he felt threatened and attacked by people within an angry mob. Hopefully situations like that would never become necessary where we have to have this debate over whether it was appropriate or legitimate for Kyle Rittenhouse to do what he did. Because if the government did what they were supposed to do, Kyle would never have even considered walking into, willingly or unwillingly, a situation in which defending himself, legitimately or illegitimately, would even be necessary. But one overarching thing. The government works for us. We are not there for the government. And the government needs to protect our rights as citizens, and especially law-abiding citizens, not punish us for exercising our God-given rights and our constitutional rights. And hopefully it gives us pause, especially as we citizens and voters of this country start to consider how we're going to contribute to the future of our communities, our states, and our nation in light of what we are seeing. But let's also be aware when we find ourselves subject to a press and other outlets of propaganda, be it the press or politicians, who position themselves to tell us what to think and how to think. Let's remain those independent thinkers of a free society and a free country. And then perhaps we might see this country getting back on track, in which our government remembers, because we remind them, that they who control the police forces do so to do a work for us so that we don't have to do it ourselves. And that ultimately the government exercises matters of government for us so that we don't have to do it ourselves. And let we the people think for ourselves and recognize the Charles Foster Keynes in our world today, whose attitude of the press and propaganda is, the people will think what we tell them to think, 
No. The government does what we tell it to do through our elections and our voices, and the press is there to keep us legitimately informed so that we can help keep a government that works for us accountable. So thanks for listening, and with any luck, I'll talk to you again soon. Thank you.